realize that today is considered by many in the reform circles and other uh, and other and other kind of national people is biblical sexuality sunday <laughs> so it worked out well that we're going to talk about biblical sexuality um it's not on your calendar. I think it's something they started last year uh, with, in solidarity with, uh, with, uh, with uh, our Canadian brothers and sisters who are now, who it is now against the law for them to preach against uh, certain perversions of uh, sexuality. And in solidarity with them, there was pastors from all over the United States had to set aside that Sunday to preach about biblical sexuality. And uh, that continues to be the law of the land there, and it will continue, or not continue, but soon it will probably be the law of the land here. And what I said about last week, uh, just why are we going to teach on this subject, it's very simple. Uh, This is going to be the greatest political challenge, and not saying we're acting politically, but it's a political movement against the church is going to come in the form of of sexual politics. Uh, also, it's a stumbling block for many. Why are people deconstructing their faith? Well, will you, if you always dig deep enough into the reasons why sexuality is one of the biggest, the most prevalent reason that eventually they will give, that they don't like what the Bible teaches about sex. And we also talked about why it was important because it's a sin that we can all fall into. And we talked a little bit about method. What, what is our method? This is, I, I'm going, this is going to sound like I'm teaching apologetics, but it's not apologetics in the evidentiary way. What I want to do is simply declare the truth of Christianity regarding this subject. And with that matter, let us get into the very first lesson. And I'm going to read this, and you're going to say, what does that have to do with the subject? It has everything to do with the subject. Isaiah 43, verse 10. You, ye are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, neither shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me there is no Savior. Go over a page or two, depending on how big your Bible is, to Psalm, to, not Psalm, Isaiah 45. In verse 5, I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou knowest, hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. All right, I'm going to throw a big word at you guys. And it's a... It's going to sound like I'm talking apologetics here, but I'm not in the sense, in, in the evidentiary sense. <laughs> no. Ontology of sexuality. That's our topic. The ontology of sexuality. In other words... What is it? And don't worry, this is not a middle school health class, (laughs) all right? We're not going to talk about it from the micro level. We're going to talk about it from a 10,000 foot level. What is it? That's the ontological question. Ontology, ontos, being the Greek participle. It just means being. Yeah, the ten. T- yeah, the, t- the so we start with the ontological question, and people will say, "Well, how do you? 
people say, well, we need, to, we need to discuss how we know what we know first. How do we even know anything? The epistemological question. But we know there's a God. We know that that God created. And we know that that God set boundaries. Let us not sit around pretending like we don't know these things. So we don't start with epistemology and an endless question to say, well, how do you know that? Well, how do you know that? Well, how do you know that? Where you never come to anything that's true and you're always just playing these little mind games where you're trying to poke a hole by saying, well, how do you know that? And how do you know that? You can't start with epistemology. Start with the fact that there's something we do know. So we start with the ontological question of what sex is. In short, it's a creature. It's a creation. Created, defined, and confined, and given to man, in our context that is, mankind, for the purposes that God has declared. Does that make sense so far? It is a creature. It is a creation that is created, defined, confined, and given to us for the purposes that God has declared. That's, uh, that, that's, that's one way to put it. If I wanted to make a, the point a little bit more brief, I would say this. Sex is a creation of God over which He is Lord. Does that make sense? And we, 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 we're not going to, I don't want to unpack everything that's in this idea of lordship. But again, like we were talking about in Sunday school for maybe five, six months ago, um, the lordship of God is the main theme of the scriptures. One out of every five verses will declare his lordship overtly. And that's not even to mention the covert declarations. He is lord. And that means He's sovereign. He's in control. He makes the rules. He defines what things are. He is present. He is judging all things. And it's to Him that we must bow. So that's what we mean by His Lordship. So the ontology of sex at a 10,000 foot view is very simple. It's a creation of God over which He is Lord. And unless we see this first, everything else we have to say about this subject is vanity if it's not built upon this foundation. And again, what we talked about last week, if we preach sexual morality on any other basis, that one ought to be sexually pure. Uh, for social reasons, for political reasons, for personal reasons, for psychological reasons, for emotional reasons. And that's all we're preaching. Not that those things are not good and valid reasons. But if that's all we're preaching, we're preaching vanity. Sexual purity should be sought first and foremost because God is Lord over it. And this is the context in which we live. We live in a created realm, and we ourselves are creatures in it. And as such, He's your Lord, He's my Lord, and everything that we do in this created realm is under His control. It is defined by Him. It is given meaning by Him, and He judges over it and presides over it. I, last year, or not last year, last week, this maybe seemed like a year, but last week I gave a couple examples of uh, Brittany Griner, uh, the NBA women's basketball star, who went to Russia and broke Russia's rules about drugs. Did she know about those rules? Did she know about those laws? Yes, she most certainly did. And she decided she's going to do whatever she wants when she's there. And what happened? She spent a good time, amount of time in prison. And if it, wasn't for, if it wasn't for politics, she would still be there. 
And I remember the story of, I don't even remember the man's name or the young boy's name, and Thomas says he remembers it, but about 10, 15 years ago, there was this young, rich, uh, entitled young man who went to Singapore and decided that he was going to break the law and began to spray paint people's cars and vandalize things. So they caught him, they arrested him, they kept him in holding, and they announced that they were, according to their law, going to cane him publicly. And everybody in America went, oh my goodness, we can't allow this to happen. We can't allow this American citizen to, 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 to put up with such shame publicly. And you know what happened? He was caned publicly because he went to a sovereign country and decided that he could do whatever he pleases. And he learned that he had to obey their laws. When it comes to this subject, this is not under our power, this is not under our control. He is Lord. Does that make sense so far? I want to make this as simple as possible and we're going to get into some complicated issues talking about this, but that's simply, in a nutshell, what we're going to say about the ontology of sex that he's Lord over it. And why, why, why don't we talk about it in these ways? Why is this one thing always left out of all our conversations? Well, because it's easy to speak with the voice of the dominant culture. We live in an agnostic culture at the very least. We live in a, in a, in a even in, even in, uh, even in the church setting where your faith is a private matter just for you. And it's easy to speak with that voice of a dominant culture. We could easily win fans among the lost world by saying nothing meaningful about sexuality. But if we do, talk about it only in pragmatic terms. If you do this, you won't, this won't happen to you. If you do that, that won't happen to you. If you do this, you'll feel better about yourself or you won't feel better about yourself and so on. We, we, we can talk about it on purely pragmatic terms but say nothing meaningful or nothing biblical about it. This would make us look good for a while, but such fear of disapproval of saying, there's a God, you're living in front of that God, He is Lord and you must answer Him. You must give an account of yourself to Him. And that sounds judgmental. And that, but, and, and it, but if we ignore that, if we set that aside and only speak in the pragmatic terms, and then we can win friends for a while, but fear, such fear of disapproval from the world would make us completely ineffectual. Worse, the applause we win will be short-lived when they demand that we continue to go further and further in affirmations of evil as good as the depravity of the nation's sins continue to grow. To call Christians, and another easy thing, it's natural for us to want to be accepted by the world, right? Right? So the best way to do that is continue what, what they, they call it, punching right. Uh, so it, it, to call Christians who have come to believe that sex and sexuality are concepts that exist in the moral context of created by God, bigoted, phobic in some way, which by the way is interesting. You, you know what, they, what, what, what attaching that title to our beliefs is, is it's an accusatory term that implies the idea of irrationality and mental illness. You are the one with the mental problem because you do not agree with X. So they apply a, that, that term to it, and it's a purely ad hominem argument meant to make us shrink. So what do we do? We want to deny that we're like that, so we start punching towards Christians. Well, we're not like the, just paint whatever... Nazi bigoted Christian, uh, uh, the straw man you want you want to put up there, and but this is the swim in the current of contemporary culture, and with each compromise, we will eventually find ourselves adrift in the boundless sea of relativistic morality, 
where we deny every fundamental truth of Christ in order to keep up with the Joneses. To see what Christian beliefs, to see what the Christian believes as harmful to society as a whole and to all who live out, quote unquote, their truth, in their sexual performances is simple and of no value. What is of value when talking about the subject is what I have already proclaimed. God is Lord in this issue. You're not. You don't get to create your own reality. You do not get to create your own morals, define your own boundaries, or so on so forth. Who do we hurt by a self-serving stance of not declaring this one simple truth about sexuality? Let's consider the case. Here is one in their sins. Rebelling against God, trying to live out their own reality created in their own mind. In doing so, that one is experiencing all kinds of problems. Why? Because they are living contrary to reality. They are experiencing, they're experiencing all that comes with their lost state, depression, uh, suicidal ideation, even making attempts to, own their own, uh, to end their own life. The same one experiences all kinds of undesirable outcomes. They are literally lost and adrift without any hope. And here stands the Christian only speaking pragmatically and not speaking the one truth that is necessary for them to hear. He's Lord. And you have to submit to Him. And by the way, I want to say this, and this, this is uh, going the other direction. Our unwillingness to say this from the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ are why people are turning to religions that are a little bit more uh, unmerciful. There are people that are turning to Islam right now. Why? Because there's a sense of grounding there that they're not hearing from mainstream Christianity anymore. Uh, we were talking a few weeks ago about the uh, AMA fighter that's, uh, that said, why am I turning to uh, Islam? Because they're actually standing, they're actually fighting, they're actually saying, this is wrong. And none of the Christians I know are. What are we doing, though, going back to the sinner and their sin? When we're unwilling to say the ontological truth we are leaving them. We are leaving them in their emptiness, in their darkness, in their hopelessness. So, so, to, so, what? What is the world? They blame the Christian for these outcomes. If only the Christians would be more accepting. Uh, the, then then all these outcomes for people that are going on in their sin wouldn't happen. It cuts the... But, but we're cutting the person off from the very thing that, that can help them. Every pill they are given to provide chemical balance, every, every, every empty affirmation that is spoken, every augment of their body to fit their mind, every sexual fulfillment, every act of self-medicating that dulls their senses gives them no relief. We are living in a sick world. And I'm not meaning that as in sick as in depraved, but sick as in the fact that they're hopeless. And they're not hearing what they need to hear. If it does not meet their need as sinners, then what are we doing? Only the gospel can meet the need as a sinner. And we're not preaching that gospel, but rather encouraging them in their rebellion in some way, shape, or form by saying they're all right when they're not. And not pointing them to the remedy that they need. Once again, we're speaking vanity. In fact, I would go further than that. A church that does not present this ontological truth, He is Lord in this area, as well as this area and that area and this area and that area. If they're not presenting that as the truth, 
then they're, spiritual, then they're guilty of spiritual malpractice. To hold the healing power of the gospel and refuse to help other, others with this, relying instead on the poisonous snake oil peddled by the world is the fault, the great fault of the Western church right now. We want to be nuanced. We want to be liked. We want to be, be that person that doesn't say the simple truth that is offensive. When it comes to the matter of sex, he's Lord, you're not. Christian belief is deemed now to be a thought crime. That's why we have Biblical Sexuality Sunday now. A hateful blight upon society, the cause of all... Um, the cause of all bad outcomes, and therefore something to be driven from society for the good of the collective. The idea that the true ideology or the true cause of those undesirable outcomes for the sinner is found in the denial of God is pushed away. And therefore the denial of purpose and concrete reality is pushed away as well. Uh, it, it's not, it can't be thought as a viable conclusion. It's not, it's, it's not that simple, and we've got to nuance this issue somehow. The idea that, a ju- that God will judge sinners is, is pushed away by those who reject God and worship and serve the Creator instead. The idea, or, or in, in fact, e- e- even trying to assign, a, a, assign any real cause to anything, to any of the bad outcomes, undercuts the very ideology itself. There are people that are living with cognitive dissonance. You know what that is? That's, that's, that's where we're at as a culture. Everyone around, everyone around us knows that they're doing wrong and they're trying to change what they believe about right and wrong in order to fit their sin in without any guilt. Christian belief as the enemy is the only thing that can be considered as the cause of the ailments of the sick. So, so this, the, what we teach here, what we're teaching here about the lordship of God is that very thing that is needed, but it's also the very thing that is hated. So what's at stake? If we do not proclaim this, what is at stake? Well, the truth of God is at stake. Treating a thing, i.e. your body, as if it has no purpose. You know, we do have a purpose. This has a purpose, right? There's, there is... There is purpose in everything that exists. There's pur- purpose in an acorn, for instance, right? What's the purpose? It's pointed a specific direction. Well, all, there's a purpose in every human cell that is created. There, 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 there is purpose here. And to treat, for people to treat their body as it had, if it had no purpose, a purpose that is independent of what they think, And acting as if that purpose is not real or important will continue to create real problems for people. Then to go about to make that thing to have purpose that is fundamentally different. That's what we're doing now. All right, your body has a purpose, but now we're going to make that body have a purpose that is fundamentally different than what it was designed to be. is wrong and will always end tragically for the sinner if we don't proclaim the truth of God. To act, for instance, as if gravity had no independent reality would end bad for us, right? To act, I mean, can you imagine uh, me getting up at the top and saying, there, gravity's not real, <laughs> and just trying to act like, I'm, uh, like, like gravity has, it's, it's not going to end well. To act like there is not real, true concepts um, uh, of of physics, uh, and going about like two things can can be at the same space at the same time is not going to work well for driving cars or things of that nature. But to act as if God is not Lord over our bodies is ultimately tragic. 
the idea of God, the truth of God is important. The truth of His Lordship is important in this area. So this idea of God, I want to throw another term at you because really this is the doctrine that is opposed, that I guess I need to just wipe this off. I'm thankful to Peter Jones, who, whose book brought this out to me. But if you've heard the term egalitarianism, that's a big word. That's a dime store word, right? What's egalitarianism? Well, it's the antithesis of scriptures. Now, I'm not talking about it in the, in the sense of, of uh, the role of women in church and things like that. Uh, that's, that's, that's something we need to go to the Scriptures and, and actually look at. But this is a doctrine. What is egalitarianism? Everything is equal. So, all is equal. There are no distinctions um, one of the people who one of the psychologists that once worked with uh, Carl Jung or uh, uh, Sigmund Freud was Carl Jung and Carl Jung uh, got this idea of wholeness wholeness is when we learn According to pop psychology, built on Carl Jung, this is another, word, another way of saying, this is what it takes to be healthy. What it takes to be healthy is for you to realize that there are no distinctions. Everything is one. Any of you all ever listened to, to uh, the rock group Nirvana? And they have that song, All Apologies, and it ends with him repetitively saying at the end, all in all is all we all are, all in all is all we all are. That's this oneness ideology. There are no distinctions between things. There's no distinction between light and darkness, good and evil, uh, uh, male and female. Uh, In fact, the ideal is androgyny. (laughs) That becomes the ideal if we are to worship nature as nature truly is and be whole, we must not see things in black and white. We must not see that there are any kind of distinctions in things. That's the overall doctrine of egalitarianism. Egalitarian is simply that belief that all things are equal, all things are the same, and there is no distinctions. And this is what it takes for us to be healthy in this life, according to modern psychology. You cannot make a distinction between this thing and that thing. In other words, does that make sense? This, this, this is the ideology that is, that, is, that is permeating our culture. You cannot make a distinction between this thing and that thing. It is this point of distinction that's really important and controversial. This is where you and I as Christians have to get off of the pop psychology bandwagon. Because we believe there is a distinction. When we speak of God, we speak of God as holy. What does that mean when we say God is holy? What does that mean when God says He's holy? What does that mean when the angels are flying around covering their eyes and their feet and and with two wings flying around crying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. What are they declaring of God? They're declaring of God that He is distinct. That He is different. That He is something else. God presents Himself in this light. He is the Creator. And what did we read in Isaiah 43? And again in Isaiah 45. I'm the Lord and there is no other Lord I'm God, and there is no other God. There's, there wasn't a what, God before me, if we can use that term before, and after me there will never be a God. I'm it. I'm the only one. 
And that's why the first commandment is, Thou shalt not have any other gods. Why? Because there's just one. There's one Lord. He's creator, and there's nothing like Him. He is in a class by Himself. Now, I know we're, we're unpacking some things here, and I want us to understand this as we go forward. But if a view of sexuality is built on a commitment to the doctrine of egalitarianism, there is no right and wrong. There is no distinction in things. That there is no Lord. One must contend with the fundamental distinction. And what is the fundamental distinction? The fundamental distinction, according to Peter Jones, and I agree, I agree 100% with him. I need to scoot back. I feel like I'm straddling this. Is this. There is a creator... Creature distinction. Does that make sense? This is reality. This is the reality that is now hated. Because it says Carl Jung is wrong. It says New Age movement is wrong. It says... Uh, Wicca and witchcraft is wrong. It's, it's, uh, I, I'm saying fundamentally, it's saying that their idea that, you know, you've, Eastern mysticism, you've got the yin and the yang, and it's all one reality. You've got the dark side, and they balance one another out, and you have to have this balance, this oneness of these things. These are wrong. And this is the ideology that, that, is, that puts Christianity against our current culture. God is God and nothing else that exists is God. Everything else exists because of God. That's you. That's me. That's the earth. Everything in it. That's the heavens, the stars. What does he say in Psalm 24? The earth is the Lord's. And the fullness of it. There's a distinction. There's Him, there's God, and there's everything God created. Now, this is not equal to this. Distinctions. We're making this real and true distinction. This is called the creator-creature distinction. Uh, and all attempts. Well, well, let's go to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, I want to I ground this in Scripture. Romans 1 and verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and righteousness who, uh, of men who hold the truth of God and unrighteousness, because that which may be known of God is manifest to them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. And it goes on to say, verse 25, Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature instead more than the Creator. That's what the world is our culture has embraced completely all there is is the creature and the creature is one and there are no distinctions and things there is no god there's just us the creature if you go to burning man that's what they're doing they're worshiping the creature if you well I, we can we can just the, the, it's, it's everywhere in our culture. All Kantian attempts to push this knowledge off, to say this knowledge is un- unknowable. We can't know anything about the Creator or false. We do know. We do know that there is a God up there. We do know that He's overall. We know His eternal power and His Godhead, His authority, His rule. We know it's something there. We know there's a truth. 
God is the necessary precondition for the knowingness. How do I know the difference between a tree and a bird? <laughs> I know because they're creatures of God, and we build everything from this creator-creature distinction. Or, as Chesterton said, without the sun, we can't see anything else. Without God, we cannot know anything else. The distinction forms the basis of all knowledge. Now, we, we, we have a movement, I guess, within, within evangel, uh, intellectual evangelism, evangelicalism, I can't even come up with the words, uh, that, is, that, is praising, uh, that is praising the works of, uh, of Thomas Aquinas and, uh, and therefore Aristotelian logic. Uh, that without these categories of Aristotle, a, uh, such as the law of non-contradiction, which is a truth, uh, that we, we, we can't understand and talk about Christianity. Here's the fact, though, is the law of contradiction is true only because there's a God. We, we, we have logic because God exists. The cre- there is a creator-creature distinction because God is exists. This is all built. Everything you and I, uh, ha- our entire understanding of the world is built on the fact that we know there is a God distinct from this world. And what did this God do? And what does egalitarianism fundamentally deny? It fundamentally denies that this God is distinct, and therefore, this God created distinctions. The true basis of all rational understanding of truth. What is truth? This is different than that. (laughs) Right? Where do we get this idea? The creator-creature distinction. All understanding the morality, this ought to be and not that. It makes distinctions. Why? Because there's a fundamental distinction. God is God, everything else isn't. Amen? All right, I I feel like I'm just, just, I feel like I I hope I'm not just talking nonsense to you. this, This is important. The fundamental truths of beauty is simply this. This is related to that and complements that. Where do we get this idea, these ideas? Creature-creator distinction. This is the fundamental reality that people deny. And once they deny this, everything is the same. There is no truth. There is not this and that. There is no morality, this ought to be and not that. There is no beauty that this is related to this and this complements this. Because uh, you have denied the fundamental reality that there's a God. Logic is more than A is not non-A. Logic is God is there and He is Lord. You, you deny that, you've denied everything. Pagan ideologies, pagan categories, and ethics cannot improve the overall assumption of the Scriptures. The Lord is there and He has spoken. I love when... I've been reading uh, the Greek Septuagint here lately, and I read in chapter 1 of Genesis, it it, it, it actually has this wording, it has this anamazon, that the Lord literally put up between two things, light and darkness, land and sea. And he made these distinctions and he made them real. Paganism says no. Carl Jung says no. Eastern mysticism says no, that's not true. That there is no distinctions. This isn't that, I, I, I think this is important, and that's why I'm talking about it, I guess. This isn't just fruitless, dust, dusty, armchair, philosophical ideas. This is fundamental reality. And the fundamental reality starts with this idea that He is Lord. Ultimate reality, 
And the need is, is to declare this to people that He's God and nothing in creation is. Because what do we have? We have people that are now making their own morality and telling you you can't say anything to them because to each his own. You have relativism, moral relativism, and, 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 uh, and a whole loss of truth. Truth doesn't matter anymore. And we cannot regain these things unless we regain this. A declaration of His Lordship. Nobody is God. I don't care, and it's a cute movie and everything we mentioned last week, uh, Inside Out. Everything about Riley was not just things that were created in her own mind. There was a God that created whoever the person is. The God that gave certain things to them. The God that crafted them and gave them purpose and formed them and made a distinction between them and other things and created their boundaries, defined everything. And that God is Lord. His being is greater. His being is different. His being is distinct from everything else. This immediately makes egalitarian an unthinkable ground for reality. All is not without distinction. I don't care how many times Kurt Cobain sang it in a song. Amen? Or, or how many times John Lennon got up and said, imagine there's no heaven or there's no hell, nothing, nothing to live or die for. Sounds, sounds terrible, to be honest with you. But... Uh, but no matter how much he says that there is that that there uh, that, that all that, that, that no possessions no anything all is one, no matter how many times he says it, it doesn't make it so. There are distinctions, or to paraphrase Paul. To paraphrase Paul, if a trumpet does not make a distinction, it means it's meaningless, right? If we don't. If we, don't, if we can't tell a difference between this and that, then it's chaos. But we cannot tell a difference between this and that unless we go back and fundamentally admit the one truth that is important. God is God, He is Lord, and everything else is His. That's it. We... In fact, without this truth, we would all just be reduced to just people drooling on ourselves and unable to say anything meaningful. The truth of God allows us to begin to see distinctions as a revelation of Himself. First, they reveal His power in that He alone can create that which exists outside of Himself. Why is there something rather than nothing? Because God decided to freely create. God was powerful enough to create. God was wise enough to create the things as they are. These things exist. Why? Because there's a God who is Lord. Then the variety of things that, by the way, reveal His very nature because there's, there is... Communion and unity in God. As he has been revealed in the scriptures. But the variety and the beauty of that which he has created, this variety can only be because there's God who is Lord over all, who rejoice in his freedom to make this thing like this and not like this. Everything that exists could have been different. God could have decided to do, do, make it differently, but He decided in His wisdom and in His Lordship to make you just the way you are. 
and with all the purposes that they're to make the flower the way the flower is and the tree the way the tree is and this tree different than that tree and that tree different than the other tree and that that bird with a longer beak and that bird with a shorter beak and that they all have this purpose and this variety and this design that is perfect because God is all wise. Thus they are as they are because it pleased him to make them the way they are. But I'm already ahead of myself. We believe fundamentally that there are distinctions and separations that, are, that exist in accordance with the wisdom and power of God. Moses describes creation as God by the word of his power making separations and distinctions. And I've already mentioned that and got ahead of myself. He separated light from darkness, dry land from sea, life from non-life, human from animal, man from woman, etc. They are, these things are the fabric of the design of creation. We on this basis of things that are made understand, according to Romans 1, the power of God. How can we now make, we can now make distinctions because that wisdom has been displayed between this thing and that thing. Why? Because we all live in a real world. The most depraved sinner who rejects God still lives in a real world where this is this and not that. I know this is just fundamental, like it sounds, sounds so simple, they don't, but this is the very thoughts that are now being considered bigoted. They're now being considered hateful and wrong and criminal. That this is this and this is not that. But the most depraved sinner knows these things already. And what they're not hearing is someone to say, God is Lord over you and everything you do with your body. He is. What does it say? It says this. We're going to give an answer to the deeds that are done in our bodies. Why? Because He's Lord. And we have to be willing to declare that. What you believe, what, what, to be able to say up front, what you believe is wrong. What you're saying about God is wrong. He has indeed, He is indeed distinct. He is holy. And every, every distinction that we make, we make because we live in His world and He created these distinctions. We have to be able to say that. What does this have to do with sex? And I'll come to a close. It establishes that all distinctions are real being the product of the creative power, wisdom, and ultimate reality of the truth, which is God. It establishes that those distinctions are good distinctions. He created a good world, a good creation that is good within the boundaries that He created it. Why? Because it was designed by a good God. It establishes that as a true and good creature of God, it has beauty in its natural given purposes. We, get, we, we run into the wording of Romans 1 where here in the King James it says in verse 26, the natural use. In verse 27, the natural use. What does this mean? I'm not reading the context. Uh, you all know what the context is. It's talking about a specific form of, of sexual perversion. But he says, what is this natural use? The way God created it to be is the natural use. 
the boundaries, the distinctions that God drew around it are the natural use. And within that natural use is a beauty created by God. Outside of that natural use is chaos. That's it. It's chaos. We have a better message than they have. I'm able to say... As a Christian, what they have pinned themselves in the corner to be unable to say. That this is wrong. Think of the most vile, terrible thing that you can think of. They cannot say this one simple truth. That was wrong. Really, really, really wrong. Why? Why are they unable to say it? Because they left this behind. The one simple truth, He's Lord and nothing else is. The Christian view of sex then, unless spoken ignorantly and unscripturally, upholds the highest possible beliefs of sexuality. Any view of sex that deviates from the Christian view cannot uphold these superlatives. Truth, goodness, beauty. They cut sex off from truth and goodness and beauty in the ultimate sense. They offer only a cheap counterfeit. The world is really offering this cheap counterfeit. What's the counterfeit? Sex is only subjectively true for me. Only good in my own eyes in that it pleases me. And only beautiful within the limited capacity of my psychologically flawed self to give it my own self-contained purpose. Can you imagine how small that is? What a difference the declaration of scriptures makes to this subject. He's Lord. He's Lord over you. He's Lord over your body. He's Lord over, well, He's Lord over sex. He is. And I can glorify Him in the natural use of it. And in that natural use is truth, goodness, and beauty. Real truth, real goodness, real beauty. Egalitarianism says, well, it just says this. There's nothing. Just random random marks here and there. Meaningless, purposeless, not beautiful. I wanted to leave random marks. I don't. <laughs> They've wiped out the creature creator distinction, and now there's just ugliness and chaos. We have something far better, and it starts with this truth He's Lord. He's Lord over this as well as everything else. And we can carry that message, and I hope that we will. That's just the beginning. We're going to get into specific laws, specific commandments and and is there a law and 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 if if I'm wearing if I'm wearing polyester then why can I say that this is wrong and that is wrong according to the law and all that kind of stuff. Is there a right and wrong and what does that have to do with a Christian? We're going to get into a lot of these issues as we go forward and and we're going to go back to the book of Mark 2 here and there, but I I wanted to I do want to get into this material because I think Fundamentally, this speaks to about every issue, but this is the issue. This is the golden calf of our day. This is the, this is the big thing that we're going to face, and we have to face it starting here. He is Lord over this, and I pray you got something from the Word of God. Let's be dismissed. I went a little long, but we're in no hurry, <laughs> I guess. Well, one of us is in a hurry because he 